Week 46 we're in, right? Yes, we are. Only, is it 40 days till Christmas? If you say so. (laughs) I don't know. It's Friday, November 18th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Rotterdamse Raadrat. And with me today is uh, Gordon Tarek. <laughs> You're very curious what that's about. Uh, I'm very, very going? curious about what that's about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see your face I'm two times on my screens, yeah. and I saw that you were <laughs> raising your eyebrows uh, to uh, to an enormous height. So yeah. Uh, yeah, you can't wait to hear what that's about. But you are uh, indeed Gordon Derek, <laughs> contributing editor at Dutch News and disappointed paintballer. Yes, that's true. Um, I know what that's start about. With you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, the 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 killjoys at uh, the the court district court of Midden Nederland are spoiling all our fun because they've told yeah. they've told the rangers in the, the Hochfelua Park that they're not allowed to shoot paintballs at wolves. And after all, because uh, yeah, the, the, some yeah, some busybodies called uh, Fauna Beheer, um, uh, Fauna Beheer, which is a conservation organisation, have, um, have have lodged uh, an objection in court. They've uh, they sought an injunction against a decision by Catalan um, Province that they wanted to shoot wolves with paintballs because they were worried that the wolves were getting too tame and approaching people and begging for food, and they couldn't have that. They wanted wolves to be frightened of humans again, so they wanted to. And make- was there a reason why they? wanted to use paintballs yeah i think so so they could mark the wolves so they knew which wolves had already been hit i think or just for a little bit of decoration possibly yeah yeah Yeah, yet another tradition uh, that uh, didn't really exist yet uh, but i'm sure there are a lot of uh, pay for fay voters who are angry at uh, yet another tradition that's yeah a tradition that's been taken away before it had even been established that's how that's how fast woke is cancelling our traditions now (laughs) it's just disgraceful woke Woke judges yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who, who won't let us shoot paintballs? So, to, to, yeah, to give Fauna um, Behir uh, their due, they, 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 they argued that um, there hasn't actually been research into whether paintballs actually hurt wolves, which there probably hasn't been. I can't imagine. I would love to do that research, though. This is my new job now. I want to be the researcher who decides who, who fires paintballs at wolves to test whether or not they actually oh. feel any pain. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I thought for a moment you you wanted to 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 hit these wolves with paintballs, but you want to uh, select the persons who do. I'm uh, sure you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, already a list ready uh, ready to go yeah 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 um and uh, yeah, and, and you are a uh, yes, yeah, so you are a Rotterdam rat rat, so a Rotterdam council rat, which uh, yeah, um, is a very curious. You haven't heard thing. about this? No, I haven't. I've been away this week, so I've missed uh, ah, missed all the fun. That's the reason. Yeah, yeah. No, on uh, on Friday, uh, the uh, the uh, municipality of Rotterdam's budget was discussed in the uh, city council uh, in uh, one of the most beautiful uh, city halls we have in the Netherlands, um, and um, they had to um, uh, adjourn the session mm. uh, at some point uh, because uh, yeah they thought the heating was uh, 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 yeah was was broken uh, but uh, additionally there was also an enormous stench uh, coming from somewhere in the in the council chamber mm. uh, and they didn't know what it was they they feared it might be uh, a, a gas leak or something or so, something else uh, even even worse uh, so they called the, the fire department and uh, it was soon discovered that uh, there was a dead rat uh, decomposing in the uh, city council uh, uh, chamber ah. next to 
the heating and yeah the heating was in fact broken and that meant that uh, yeah that um, uh, <laughs> that increased the, the decomp- decomposition process of this uh, particular rat um, so yeah um, 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 uh, it was uh, removed from the chamber yeah. and uh, soon after they could uh, they could uh, 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 restart again yeah. uh, but um, uh, soon after a motion was uh, was tabled uh, by GroenLinks that called on uh, this particular rat to be uh, donated to the uh, Natuurhistorisch Museum in Rotterdam, which is this podcast's favorite museum. Yes. Uh, it has a, uh, a, a lovely uh, exhibition called uh, Animals um, um, uh, in the News. Yes. And they uh, they have, um, how do you call it? Uh, uh, they stuffed uh, animals that yeah, have been... Taxidermists. Taxidermists, that's the word yeah. I was looking yeah. for. Um, uh, uh, animals that had made headlines, they they, uh, they collect them and they they stuff them and then they uh, put them on display and uh, yeah the, the the highlight of this exhibition is of course the domino mus the mm-hmm. uh, domino sparrow um, and uh, they also have the McFlurry um, um, uh, hedgehog uh, and the Tweede Kamer mouse of course uh, but it is feared that this particular rat is uh, yeah was uh, was already too much decomposed to uh, yeah. to, uh, to to do something with it. It wasn't really it. attracted to put on display. No. no, so uh, yeah, that's very unfortunate. So that's uh, gone away, yeah, yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, man, that the rat was already dead, so they couldn't get the council rat catcher in, or, or, or yeah, or, or um, you know, he could have become part of this. Could have been another new tradition, right? Where they could have had now that we did, now that uh, Sinterklaas has had to. To, to change we could have had uh, Svata Pete sort of go into the council chamber and sort of lead the rats away you know playing flutes and like the Pied Piper of Hamlin yeah, yeah. The, the Pied Piper of, uh, of Pied the Piper Paul Singer yeah. exactly yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's yeah, all kinds of new traditions. Um, perhaps you could shoot the wolves with um, with black paintball pellets in order to preserve the tradition of blackface in the Netherlands now that it's been... Um, perhaps you won't yeah, use that. Yeah, no, no rainbow wolves, but blackface wolves, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I have no idea how you're going to make this transition to the Ophef. Let's circle it... back to the Pied Piper thing. So that brings us on to the topic of Sinterklaas, which, of course, uh, is, um, unsurprisingly for this time of year, the focus of our Ophef of the week. Yes, uh, because it is the third week of November, and that means that uh, the one and only Sinterklaas has returned to the Netherlands. Until December 5th, he will regularly break into your house, steal your carrots, and destroy your children's dental health with sweets and chocolates uh, he leaves in their shoes. Has anyone suggested, uh, and I'm sure somebody I'm thinking of has, that uh, Sinterklaas is actually in the pay of big, denti- big dentistry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure you ha- you are onto something. Uh, yeah. I think you can uh, can can uh, turn this into a uh, a business model. Uh, just make some YouTube videos. Yeah. Uh, start a an alternative Twitter account, and uh, all of a sudden you will have money flowing into your bank account, yeah. and uh, you might be able to buy a nice piece of land in uh, in uh, Spain uh, in the near future. Yeah, so sell off a few baseball caps with my name on it, uh, uh, my <laughs> yeah. website name on it, and. Uh, yeah, I'll be a millionaire in no time. You only need a catchy slogan. You can think yeah. about that while I'm uh, finishing this uh, <laughs> this uh, this piece. Um, in recent years, we uh, indeed had a new Sinterklaas uh, tradition, and that is Ophef. Uh, this year was no exception, but perhaps for the first time in recent memory, the banning of uh, his blackface assistants called Swarte Piet wasn't the dominating Ophef. As always, uh, Sinterklaas's voyage by steamship was intensely covered by the Sinterklaas Journal. That's a special children's TV show in the form of a newspaper 
program uh, presented by Diewertje Blok. Uh, every year something uh, goes wrong on the SINS journey, but uh, yeah, naturally always uh, it gets resolved right on time. Um, but parents and children uh, alike were left in shock and horror on Friday evening. That was the day before Sinterklaas's official arrival in Hellevoetsluis, because the program ended abruptly with images of the SINS ship uh, carrying all the presents and sweets sinking to the bottom of the Gulf of Biscay. Uh, Furious parents uh, said on social media that uh, this year's storyline was way too dramatic and uh, they complained that uh, they had uh, shocked children upstairs who couldn't sleep and were crying in their beds. Um, because they were worried Sinterklaas uh, wouldn't make it on time, and uh, this this time it looked uh, very definite, a very definitive ending of uh, of of, uh, of his of his journey. Um, the next day, everything turned out to be uh, just fine after the Sinterklaas journal revealed that the Sint had found an alternative mode of transportation by way of an aeroplane. Uh, but then. But that in turn caused a new round of warpath, especially from the more environmentally sensitive group of parents, who now complained that in times of climate change, Sinterklaas was setting a wrong example by flying instead of taking the train. That he usually goes by steamship, <laughs> and that by yeah, public transport he uh, couldn't possibly arrive in time in Hellevoetsluis, basically because Hellevoetsluis is uh, yeah almost literally on at the end of the world. Yeah. Um, mm. yeah, those two things were ignored for some reasons. Um, it does mean, however, that Sinterklaas' ship called uh, Pakjesboot 12, uh, which had been in service since 1985, needs a replacement, and an online competition uh, for the new name of uh, the Sint's uh, new ship has already been announced. Right. So have you, uh, have you have you suggested a name to the Sinterklaas from now? Uh, Sinti MacSintface, of course. No, no, I thought you were going to call it Seislaas Eimhaden. Oh yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's my number two <laughs> yeah, suggestion, yeah. 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 One of those two will surely win. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, so that was. Um, yeah, it, it looked a little. It looked r- really dramatic, and the Sinterklaas Chanel, they they always do it really nicely, right? Uh, yeah, I'm sure your children had watched it uh, when as they were well younger. When they were still... I, I tuned in to the Sinterklaas Chanel every night with my children. It was great. Um, yeah, it's a l- lovely thing to do. And uh, yeah, I think they would have been quite distressed to see because I think I, hadn't, I didn't actually watch this year. Obviously, my children are now in their late teens. They're, they've sort of moved on um, yeah, to, to to other uh, other things, but um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think the, the the sight of Sinterklaas kind of dripping wet on a sinking ship would have been really quite <laughs> quite a distressing thing for you know for young children. So yeah, yeah. I, I saw a tweet from someone who uh, had younger children but also uh, uh, two teenagers, and they uh, she said that uh, the teenagers were the most distressed <laughs> from all the children she had. Yeah, so, uh, well, yeah, pro- probably uh, well, yeah, but because obviously it is actually so people over the age of forty to get most upset about any any changes to the Sinterklaas tradition, as we know. Yeah, um, so exactly, I'm surprised yeah. there wasn't a parade of forklift trucks down uh, <laughs> well, down the motorways of Friesland in, uh, well, in, in there, response there was, to this. There was another round of OPEF because uh, yeah, the, the Sinterklaas Channel always includes uh, some sort of yeah references to current affairs, right? Mm. And they also included angry farmers uh, mm. who were protesting. So yeah, that was also uh, yeah, and a lot of people were also mad about that. Yep. So um, a nice tradition we have. Uh, Sinterklaas is always something that uh, makes people mad. Yes. This week, a court at Schiphol finally gave its verdict on the MH17 case, eight years after the Malaysian Airlines flight was shot down over Ukraine, killing 298 people. Uh, National Statistics Agency CBS released new figures on the Dutch economy and inflation. Foreign Affairs Minister Wopke Hoekstra had to take shelter in Kiev. Prime Minister Mark Rutte attended the G20 summit in Bali. And there's orange news, of course, uh, from Qatar, I believe, and um, also some Mandarin news. Hmm. 
So a very colourful edition. Yeah, yeah. very colourful. Yeah, but more yeah, didn't use orange. He would. Uh... <laughs> the primary colours and orange. Yes. After a two-year-long trial, three men have been found guilty of shooting down Malaysian Airlines flight MH17 over eastern Ukraine in July 2014 and murdering all 298 people on board. Igor Gherkin, a former Russian intelligence officer, his fellow Russians Sergei Dubinsky and Ukrainian national Leonid Karchenko were given life sentences by the district court in The Hague, which was sitting at the high security court complex near Schiphol Airport on Thursday. Dutch news' Lauren Comento was down there, and she sent us this report straight after the verdict. Judges found Russians Igor Gherkin and Sergei Dubinsky and Ukrainian Leonid Karchenko guilty of intentionally downing MH17. They may not have launched the Buck missile, but judges say there is ample evidence that they oversaw its transport and deployment from Russia to a field in eastern Ukraine controlled by Russian-backed separatists, from where it was fired. Judge Hendrik Steinhaus say they must have known the consequences and sentenced the men to life in prison. He spoke through a translator. The court holds the proven charges so severe and the consequences thereof so grave that it holds that only the highest possible prison sentence would be appropriate punishment in retaliation of what the accused did and what caused so much grief to so many victims and relatives. They were also ordered to pay 16 million euros compensation. None of the defendants attended the trial. They have 14 days to appeal. Judges also found there is overwhelming evidence that Russia had overall control of the separatists in Ukraine. That could be important for other cases concerning Russia's invasion of the country, including Ukraine's case against Moscow for financing terrorism at the International Court of Justice ongoing in The Hague. And as Lawrence says there, one of the crucial things about this verdict was the court's ruling that Russia was directly involved in the conflict, and that gives it responsibility for the actions of the so-called Donetsk People's Republic in what at the time was commonly described as a civil war. Several leaders had Russian nationality and a background in the Russian military, such as the suspect Gherkin, the presiding judge Hendrik Steinhaus said. And at the same time, though, they couldn't claim the status of combatants under international law because they weren't formally part of the Russian armed forces. And although none of the three suspects were at the site or were directly involved in firing the missile, all three played a part in transporting it. Gherkin was a Minister of Defence in the People's Republic, Dubinsky was his deputy and gave the orders directly to Karchenko, who supervised the transfer of the missile from the Russian military base in Kursk. A fourth suspect, Oleg Pulatov, was acquitted because there was no evidence directly linking him to the missile. He was also the only one of the four to instruct defence lawyers. So, handy hint there, if you're accused of war crimes, get a defence lawyer. <laughs> the court said the missile had probably been intended to shoot at a military jet, but the men's efforts to cover their tracks after they realised they'd hit a civilian plane were, quote, disrespectful and unnecessarily hurtful. All three men were given life sentences, though it's doubtful if they will ever spend time in jail because they cannot be extradited from Russia. Yeah, this, um, um, yeah the, the downing of MH17 is uh, uh, yeah, really a national trauma, I think, in the Netherlands because uh, the flight uh, took off from Amsterdam uh, airport uh, and it was carrying 192 uh, Dutchmen who all died. Yes. And um, um, yeah, this war in Ukraine, we all, so a lot of people think 
Uh, it started uh, uh, February 24th when Russia invaded uh, Ukraine. Uh, but yeah, that's not true, of course. It all started when uh, when it annexed uh, the Crimea. And uh, part of this conflict was the downing of MH17. And after Ukraine, the Netherlands is the, uh, is the second largest uh, uh, victim in terms of um, uh, yeah, uh, um, um, casualties um, um, uh, because of this downing. Uh, yeah. 192 Dutchmen. Um, we all know someone or we know Know someone who knows someone in this country who uh, who died uh, in this crash, and it really is a, a uh, it was a traumatic experience. I remember vividly where I was when I heard it. Mm. Uh, it was one of these moments. Um, so yeah, it's um, um, it's uh, it has finally come to an end, I guess. Where the 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 the, the, the families who uh, have loved ones who died in this crash, they uh, yeah they have um, closure in the sense that there is finally an independent judge who says. Who said what happened? Yeah. Um, of course, uh, three men who have been convicted they will not uh, serve their time in jail, uh, but at least uh, this is some sort of uh, of closure. But um, 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 how how else did the, the families react? Yes. Yeah, so well, as you say, they've had to wait eight years for this verdict now. Um, and uh, there were, as well as 196 Dutch victims, people from uh, another 16 countries on board, and out of the 298 people who died and generally the feeling I think was one of relief and also satisfaction that the court had done a very thorough job and rejected almost all of the counter arguments and alternative explanations that were put forward by Russia because of course at every stage of the investigation the Russians would set up a press conference and throw out all kinds of sort of mad contradictory conspiracy theories and uh, 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 notions really unsubstantiated notions about how the um, um, how the uh, might have been brought down now uh, and even today they, they mentioned a point in the court that even after they found fragments of a book missile in the bodies of the people who were on board the plane there were still people online who will tell you that it was brought down by a missile fired from a Ukrainian fighter jet we have how, people in parliament who will say this we do uh, have people in parliament who will also spin this absolute nonsense and need to be called out for it uh, at every turn so, yeah, um, it didn't, of course, take away the sadness and anger that the families felt at losing their relatives and their lives will quite simply never be the same again. Uh, Hans de Borst, who lost his daughter Elsa Meek, said, quote, My sense of loss will never go away, but after following the court case, I hope it will bring a sense of peace. And Piet Pluch, who's the chairman of the families group Stichting Fliegramp MH17, who lost his brother, his sister-in-law and his cousin, he said, I'm very glad that justice has been done and the truth has been established. It's important for all relatives from the international perspective as well. But of course there was also frustration from some families at the acquittal of Pulatov. Um, it's not the end of the story as well because both sides in the case have 14 days in which to appeal so neither the conviction nor the acquittal is definitive and as Lauren said in her report the suspects were also ordered to pay the victim's relatives 16 million euros in compensation altogether. Now in practice what will happen is the Dutch state will pay out the money to the families mm. and they will pursue the trio for reparations. They will get their mm. money but okay. I, if they can't claim it back from the three money being convicted, then yeah, the bill will be paid by the Dutch taxpayers. Perhaps we have uh, one or two Russian yachts laying around, uh, which we can sell and use that money uh, for these reparations. Yeah, well, we, we, um, we've got the receipts for them because a lot of them were built in the Netherlands, weren't they? So, <laughs> exactly, yeah. 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 Um, so those were the family's reactions. Uh, how about the political reactions? Yeah, it came in thick and fast, as you'd expect. Um, the Prime Minister, Mark Rutte, said, uh, we have taken another step in the pursuit of truth and justice for the victims and their loved ones. But he warned that this was not the end of the road because of the possibility of appeals. Uh, the President of Ukraine, Volodymyr 
Volodymyr Zelensky said the verdict was highly symbolic, both judicially and morally, and showed that every war crime committed by Russia will be identified, investigated and concluded. The king and queen also issued a statement saying their thoughts are with the victims' friends and relatives. Russia, meanwhile, said it would study the full verdict um, rather than the two-hour summary. Yeah, the summary took two hours. Uh, read out by Hendrik Steinhaus before passing comment. Every nuance is important, said a Russian government spokesman. Mm. Okay. Big on, yeah, big on nuance, uh, the Russians. Famous yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's uh, it's also interesting from a uh, from a uh, yeah uh, uh, from from the current war's perspective because it show this is the the first war crime uh, that uh, uh, Russian uh, soldiers or Russian uh, uh, affiliated people were convicted for, and uh, yeah, this is definitely something that uh, yeah people who are fighting now Russians who are fighting now in Ukraine um, yeah uh, have to uh, be aware of that they will be prosecuted. Uh, even if it will take eight years uh, before, um, yeah, the 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 a court will uh, will have its verdict. Yeah, and of course uh, we must remember that this was a, a trial held under Dutch law at the um, at the district court level uh, rather than an international criminal court trial. But nevertheless, it will be carried forward, as you say, into other legal proceedings and other trials that will be um, potentially be held by the international criminal court. Of course, there are um, indictments against Russia for war crimes, and uh, yeah, the, the, the sets a precedent. It lays down a mark for other criminal proceedings. And it's also, it's also from a prosecution point of view a very interesting case because um, yeah as you said uh, there's a Dutch uh, district court that uh, that uh, 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 yeah had this uh, court case um, but they weren't able to to actually go to the to the crash site to the crime scene because you know there was a a war going on there mm. and um, it is uh, what what usually happens when there's a crime uh, the police comes they 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 seal it off they uh, they they send everyone away and they do their do their investigation and journalists have to go after what the police tell them what they have found and now it is the actually it is the opposite way around the, the, the Dutch prosecution service had to rely on, on, on a number of occasions on reports from journalists who um, yeah, also um, 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 uh, put their lives in danger mm. by going there and, and doing this investigative work so I think it's also a triumph for, for journalists as well who, uh, who dared to go there and find out what happened and speak to uh, witnesses and it is uh, uh, thanks to their work that uh, these, uh, these uh, three men uh, could have been convicted because otherwise, uh, other other way it would have been um, even more difficult to convict them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, I haven't hadn't realized this, but we uh, it, it's all connected, right? Yeah, it's all, story it's all well. linked to yeah. the next story. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Foreign Affairs Minister Wopke Hoekstra was forced to take cover in an air raid shelter in Kiev on Tuesday during a visit to the Ukrainian Foreign Affairs Minister Dmitro, as the Ukrainian capital was bombarded by Russian missiles. Hoekstra was just about to give a press conference to announce that the Dutch government was planning to spend an additional 15 million euros on solving war crimes in Ukraine. Uh, the Netherlands has uh, has some uh, expertise in this field, as we heard uh, in the previous story, um, when the air raid sirens sounded. Several explosions were heard nearby, after which the group was escorted to a shelter. It wasn't the first time Hoekstra had seen the inside of a Ukrainian bunker. On his first visit to Kiev in May, Hoekstra had to take shelter because the sirens went off as well. 
Hulkstra spent three hours in the bunker, from where he tweeted a video saying that he was okay and that the damage he had witnessed hardened his determination to hold the perpetrators to account and reaffirmed that the Netherlands is dedicated to keep supporting Ukraine in the war against Russia. Later on Tuesday, Hoekstra met the Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky and received the highest Ukrainian order of Prince Yaroslav the Wise. Uh, it looked like he was handed a, uh, a, a passport. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, it looked like it was a yeah. It was uh, um, it had the same color as a Dutch passport, right, but uh, it was a, yeah. it was an important uh, distinction. Yeah. Um, the two men spoke for 45 minutes, but afterwards Hoekstra didn't want to say too much about uh, uh, what had been discussed. Hmm. He did say they talked about the delivery of weapons and munitions to Ukraine and how the Netherlands can assist in finding and prosecuting war criminals. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did, did he also offer to donate some uh, Dutch tractors to Ukraine? Because we, we seem to have a lot <laughs> kicking around. We seem to have a lot, and uh, yeah. Yeah, the Ukrainians uh, has uh, better use of them, I think. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They have much better use, yeah. And I wonder, are the ceilings of Ukrainian bunkers tall enough to to uh, to to have to Hoekstra Hoekstra. And, uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Because you saw that picture of uh, Zelensky kind of uh, craning his neck to look up at Hoekstra, who just looked like this this giant who'd uh, arrived in in Kiev. Uh, do you like, think it is it is Dutch foreign uh, policy to just uh, have a, a foreign minister <laughs> as tall as possible to yeah uh, to, yeah, to yeah, kind of intimidate sure. and humiliate uh, other world leaders? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because if, yeah, yeah. if you lined him up with, um, you know, with Putin and um, uh, Rishi Sunak as well, he'd be like, uh, you know, he'd, yeah, he sort of look, he'd look kind of like kind of a you know a dad taking out his, the kids out for the weekend. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Margaret himself is also quite he's tall. Pretty tall. Of yeah. He's uh, yeah. almost two meters, I think. So yeah. yeah. So yeah, speaking of Rutte, um, he was even further away from home, wasn't he? Yeah, that's right. He was present at the G20 summit in Bali, in uh, Indonesia. Um, yeah, that's it's always um, uh, 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 the Netherlands is always happy when they are invited to these sort of summits, right? Uh, yeah. They, uh, they, 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 I finally have a chance to to feel important. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Dutch don't get to feel important in Indonesia much these days. They, it's a very nostalgic <laughs> trip for him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah but Rutte is partly uh, of Indonesian descent, of course. So, uh, of course yeah, he is, he, yes. Uh, he went that, back yeah. to his uh, heritage. Back to his roots, yeah. The most important topic on the agenda of the G20 summit was, of course, the war in Ukraine. Um, Rutte spoke with a number of world leaders, including the Chinese President Xi Jinping. Uh, Rutte urged Xi to do everything in his power to help stop the war. And after Zelensky addressed the summit uh, via video link, Russia launched uh, missile attacks on Ukraine. Um, it is expected uh, out of retaliation of that address. And that's, uh, that, that was the attack that forced Hoekstra to take shelter. In a statement after an emergency meeting with several world leaders following the news that a supposedly Russian missile had landed in Poland, Rutte said that the situation was worrying, but it was important to find out what happened first before any conclusions uh, could be drawn. Um, after Bali, uh, Rutte flew to Seoul, where he will meet the uh, South Korean president. So yeah, a, a very busy week for the prime minister. And I wonder who won uh, the fight over um, uh, the, uh, the PHGov, the government's plane, because Sigrid Kaag uh, also uh, went along to Bali oh. uh, and Rutte uh, traveled to Seoul. How did Kaag, uh, what plane did Kaag use? Hmm. Because did you hear about this row between uh, Kaag and uh, the uh, sports minister? Oh, that's another Connie one Helder. No, no. She is the Connie Helder is of course the designated supporter yes. for the Qatar uh, <laughs> World Championship we will talk about later. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this weekend a, a, a row, it was leaked that there was a row between Kaag who also ne needs the uh, the government's plane to go to the Balkans. Um, uh, but that uh, interferes with uh, uh, Helder's visit to Qatar. So they were fighting over who uh, could use the plane 
Kane and eventually um, uh, Helder uh, is the one who won, even though uh, Sigrid Kaag as the vice prime minister and finance minister um, is uh, higher in the hierarchy of the cabinet, of course. But yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but, but the, the World Cup was deemed more important than a visit to the Balkans. I, th- I assume. I don't know how <laughs> these decisions are made, but uh, yeah. No. Yeah. The spectre of recession loomed large this week as official figures showed the economy contracted by 0.2% in the third quarter. Analysts expected to shrink further in the last three months of the year, which would officially place us in recession. The statistics agency, CBS, said lower investment in housing and infrastructure was the main reason for the slump. But chief economist Peter Hein from Mulligan said there was no reason to panic and the recession was expected to be short and shallow. In the last 12 months, the economy has grown by 3.1%, but that's distorted by the effect of last year's coronavirus lockdown, so we're kind of recovering from not being able to spend any money then. And consumer Mm. spending went up by 2.3% in the third quarter, when adjusted for inflation, and that's because households were spending the money they'd saved up during the pandemic, with travel, cafes and restaurants, and culture venues all recording stronger sales. All right, and uh, what about the rest of Europe? Well, um, um, are we are we winning this competition? Yeah, or not? We, we, yeah, we kind of got our noses uh, in front or at the front of the pack because the European Central Bank is uh, anticipating a short recession followed by a recovery in the spring. The European Commission's forecast is for total growth of 0.3 percent for the whole of 2023, so pretty sluggish really. But the Dutch economy is expected to grow by 0.6 percent, mm. so twice as fast. But still, 0.6%, so we're not exactly uh, you know, motoring ahead here. A win is a win, I take it. That's true, yeah. yeah. So it's a grinding 1-0 rather than a flamboyant <laughs> uh, you know, 4-0 uh, triumph. The big unknown is what will happen with gas. Six months ago, the, the received wisdom was that the EU would struggle to reach its target of filling its gas reserves to 80% of capacity by November. But European countries have reached that target. Dutch gas reserves are currently 91% full. Wholesale gas prices are less than a third of what companies were paying in August and the weather's been pretty kind to us so far this winter as well we keep winning it's like we're Donald Trump or something yeah yeah well no yeah Mm, no uh, not really right yeah but that would mean we would suddenly just uh, suffer a catastrophic defeat at (laughs) at an unfortunate moment yeah but uh, we would still yeah yeah um, and uh, how is uh, the inflation uh, hitting people's uh, pockets right now? Well, the headline rate of inflation has come down slightly last month to 14.3%. but uh, And petrol prices at their lowest level for over a year, although we've had a tax discount to, to help with that. But uh, in the shops, the prices keep going up as businesses have to pass their costs on to consumers. Um, uh, our intrepid reporter, Lauren Cominto, again took a tour of Amsterdam's shops and street markets and came back with some startling results. Uh, one stallholder on the Albert Kaubmarkt said the price of chickens was up by 200%. Um, that's uh, partly because of uh, extra fuel and transport costs, but also because we've had this bird flu epidemic, which has oh, uh, squeezed yeah. supplies. They've had to cull, I think, something around a million chickens. Uh, and the price of grain, which comes from Ukraine. Um, so, yeah, everything's uh, gone up in price. And basic staples like rice, milk and coffee are up by 21% on average. Minced beef costs 58% more. And sunflower oil, again, a big Ukrainian export, is up by 135% in the last oh, year. Wow. 
So that might explain why we're heading for a parsimonious Christmas period this year. 40% of people say they expect to spend significantly less on Sinterklaas and Christmas this year. So just as well uh, no one's spending money on boot polish anymore. For to <laughs> Spending on clothes and shoes is set to fall by 24%, while toys and games will uh, be reduced by... Well, spending on toys and games will be reduced by 18% and 17% respectively. I just bought a bunch of uh, stocks uh, in uh, in chocolate, both at chocolate factory and a, a shoe polish factory. So good, uh, yeah, good my, move. Uh, well done. There goes my there, there goes, goes my uh, my pension. Yeah, and that's even before the new pension law is uh, accepted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're really yeah knocking out of the park like Donald Trump. <laughs> Budgets are tight, Christmas is coming, and winter fuel bills are set to be sky high, so we really are extra grateful to the loyal patrons of this podcast for sticking with us in these difficult times. Your contributions really do help us to help you make a bit more sense of what's going on here in the Netherlands, and we appreciate any amount you can spare us, great or small, and you can support us for as little as a dollar, a euro, or a pound a month, and in return we will shower you in gratitude, give you a shout-out on the podcast so everyone else knows what a generous soul you are, and we'll do our best to answer your questions questions so if you want to become a sponsor log on to www.patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash dutch news nl the home affairs ministry has announced a 7 billion euro spending package with investments on the dutch infrastructure the money will go to the development of infrastructure needed in new residential areas and will be spent on new bus and tram lines and rail improvements one third of the money will go to motorways and roads and 10 percent to cycle tracks because of course we are in the netherlands we have to uh, spend some money on cycle tracks Um, The spending package is aimed at making sure new housing developments have proper transport connections and to ensure congestion doesn't increase, even though if you have been on the road today, then uh, you uh, had been uh, experiencing the worst traffic uh, in in, uh, recent memory, I think. It's it's the heaviest traffic this year, and I guess uh, given we've had two years of lockdown, probably the heaviest traffic we've had uh, since um, coronavirus arrived, I think. Uh, 900 kilometers of uh, uh, traffic jams this morning on the roads. I thought we got over the 1,000 mark. I thought we'd uh, pass that milestone. I I only read Daniel Kuhreis' tweet. Oh, right, okay, uh, yeah. uh, Maybe he had a, uh, let me see. Maybe it was fake news from Daniel Uh, Kuhreis. 940 kilometers uh, okay. yet, so uh, not quite. Yeah, little over 900. Yeah. So no fake news from uh, from Daniel Kuhlhaus this time. Good to hear. 1.5 billion euros will go to the construction of a new light rail line between Leiden and Dordrecht, where 77,000 new homes are due to be built in the coming years. Uh, 1 billion is reserved to expand road capacity at problematic junctions and black spots. Uh, the notorious north-south line in Amsterdam will be extended to the south through Schiphol Airport and Alsmeer at a cost of 4 4.1 billion euros and Rotterdam uh, will get a new bridge um, um, and that one is already controversial because a lot of people are very unhappy with that they uh, they prefer a, a tunnel instead of a, a bridge but I believe the council had already decided on a bridge so uh, right. yeah, too bad for them yeah, they could always uh, get Jeff Bezos to, uh, to, to, to get it taken down and then they can have a tunnel instead <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah <laughs> um, yeah that bridge is supposedly uh, uh, needed to uh, connect the uh, the uh, uh, yeah, the area around final stadium which will be developed into a residential area with the north bank of the city um, so will all the money go to the Randstad region you ask uh, no only two thirds uh, will go to the Randstad uh, 800 million will go to improve access to Eindhoven uh, 
and Groningen, the city, will also get a new rail station. So finally they get something back for all all the gas and uh, earthquake <laughs> exactly, damage yeah, that yeah. Uh, they've endured for the last <laughs> yeah. 50 years. Very disappointing uh, Sinterklaas <laughs> gift uh, this yes. year for Groningen. Yeah. This isn't, uh, yeah, there's also some more bad news for travelers in Amsterdam. They should be aware that in the coming two weeks, no trains will run to and from Amsterdam South Station, and fewer trains will run to Schiphol Airport from the capital. Uh, most travelers heading for the South Oz business area can go via Amsterdam Centraal and transfer to either a bus or the yeah, dreaded uh, north-south line. Mm-hmm. Um, NS warns that people should expect an additional 45 minutes travel time and the disruption will continue until November 27th. This is all assuming that your trains were running in the first place, of course. Yes, and hadn't been cancelled or shortened um, and that they were actually, they could find a conductor to work on it. Exactly. None, none of which uh, things are certain anymore. Yeah, have, have, have you noticed more? Have, have, you, have you been on the trains much lately? Have you noticed more overcrowding? Because I was on the train this week and I... Uh, uh, admittedly, I was traveling kind of late in the evening, so it probably wasn't such an issue. But uh... well, I have to say that uh, I was traveling also late in the evening, and I noticed that uh, the, the the trains were really busy at yeah. times that uh, they were usually um, yeah almost empty. That that had to do with the fact that they were shortened. Uh, so usually they have like they connect two trains right, and they run uh, run them to uh, to uh, uh, yeah Rosenau for example, mm. um, and then they uh, split them up. But no- now they were only running them uh, with with a single. Uh, compartment and uh, yeah that uh, that made uh, made it quite difficult to find a, a, a seating uh, a seat in on the train and also um, the frequency is uh, is really uh, uh, went down because yeah. I wanted to go to the Hague Central um, uh, not this week but the week before that and it used to be the case that they had uh, four sprinters so that's those are the the, the, the faster but um, um, but yeah, slower uh, trains yeah. Yeah, they are they are faster, but they are slower. They, they yeah. run more stops, they have a, so they yeah. They have more stops, but they have a higher uh, uh, maximum speed. Yeah. So that's that's why they're called sprinter. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, they uh, they had reduced it from four trains uh, per hour to the Hague uh, Central to only two. So yeah, I had to uh, unexpectedly wait twenty minutes for my train, where otherwise it would only have been five minutes. Yeah. So no, I no, I have noticed uh, uh, the uh, the uh, the um, decrease in uh, train services uh, from the NS. And um, I think the new uh, train schedule will uh, come into effect the first week of uh, December, I think. That's usually when they Uh, do do, do it, yes, yeah. Yes, and uh, the NS has already announced that uh, they will... uh, uh, they will reduce the number of trains and also uh, the the number of materiel on the rail lines, uh, also especially in rush hours. So yeah, yeah this is uh, going to be a problem for a lot of people because, uh, yeah, as we all know, um, yeah, a lot of people make use of trains to uh, to go to and from work and to universities every day. So, uh, yeah, um, brace yourself. Yep. Yeah, this is me standing room only. Sports news. And once again, streets across the Netherlands have been decked out in orange as the country brims over with anticipation for the summer football tournament. <laughs> hang on, hang on a second. That's that's the wrong script. <laughs> this is uh, the script of uh, last time, yeah, Of any other football tournament, yes. No. Yeah. A sense of shame hangs over the Netherlands as the streets brim over with rainwater with just days to go before the Autumn World Cup kicks off in Qatar. The total absence of excitement is palpable for a tournament being held at the wrong time of year in a country best known for its appalling human rights record and the deaths of thousands of migrant workers during construction of the stadiums. 
While emotions range from apathy to spluttering outrage, the Dutch media is gamely doing its best to play up the positive angles of the tournament and answer the question nobody can really be bothered to ask. Can Oranje come home with the World Cup? And can they? Um... Well, Louis van Gaal, the coach, and King Willem-Alexander said they think they can, but they're probably in a minority of two. Uh, The team's (laughs) preparations have been blighted by injuries and problems with form. Ajax, who are contributing six players to the squad, suffered a 6-1 humiliation recently in the Champions League at the hands of Napoli. Van Gaal still hasn't decided who his best goalkeeper is, and Daily Blind looks about as mobile as an Oli (laughs) Bolokram. Memphis Depay won't start the opening match against Senegal because of his injuries. Uh, Denzel Dumfries is a major doubt and more minor knocks have interrupted the preparations for Matthijs de Ligt, Frankie de Jong, Martin de Roon and Toten Koopmeiners. The saving grace for the Dutch is the draw. They've been placed in a very favourable group with the host nation, Qatar, Senegal, who are missing their star player Saudi Omane for the first game, and Ecuador. And if they win the section, they'll play the second place team in a group that comprises England, the United States, Wales and Iran. So Wait a minute, I thought Qatar was a, was a uh, football nation with a, uh, with a flourishing uh, history in, in, in the sports and uh, with a, uh, uh, yeah, they have won multiple uh, world tournaments and, and so on. Um, why, are you, why are you calling them a, uh, a favorable uh, selection? Yeah, well, well, no, in fact, they're, they're seeded purely because they're host nation. In fact, uh, they have managed to climb up to the giddy heights of about 50th in the world rankings but <laughs> when they reward the tournament I think there was sort of, uh, about ranked somewhere around 100 160th in the world they had okay. they've never qualified yeah, so for the world cup um actually on the field this is the first time they've, they've, they've been present at the tournament at all and uh yeah um so we'll see how they how they fare as a host nation but uh, um, yeah, it's uh, it looks like a fairly fairly easy draw for the for, for the Netherlands. You have to say, especially as they weren't a yeah. seeded team for the for, for, it was about the best draw they could have had. Um, exactly. And the Dutch will also be hoping that Van Gaal can kind of pull off the kind of uh, heroics that he managed eight years ago when uh, he led Oranje to a third place finish and masterminded a memorable five one win against uh, Spain, who were world champions then. And there's a good hmm. omen as well because of course the Netherlands traditionally do well in World Cups hosted by despicable regimes. They've finished to reach the final in 1978 in Argentina so yeah it's uh, something that uh, yeah we uh, 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 people make sure you won't forget that we have been in the finals in uh, 78 and uh, we have been robbed by um, I believe it was West Germany or something no that, that, yeah. no, that, that, that was in 74 that was the final. So oh, okay. that's the final everyone talks yeah. about. And people don't talk some. People talk like much less about the final in '78. Uh, ah, okay. They lost to Argentina okay, I, yeah. in the final, and uh, uh-huh. yeah. there were there, there was a lot of mutterings that it was a bit of a stitch up. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, when when the Netherlands won in the European Championship in '88, uh, they won I think in the semi-final uh, from Western Germany, yes. and uh, that was is widely regarded as payback time for this last um, uh, World Championship finale in '74. Uh, but I have to say, I'm not a, not a, <laughs> I don't follow football that often. Of course, I, w- I also completely forgot about uh, 1978. I, uh, I uh, everyone keeps talking about '74. Indeed, yeah. yeah. No, no, yeah, no. '78 has been kind of, uh, sort of brushed under the carpet. The thing is, that at the time, the government faced the same dilemma about whether to go to to the to the tournament. They decided not to because they thought the team mm. wouldn't, the team would be coming home early anyway. And of course, they got to the finals. Then suddenly, they had to scramble a minister to fly out to Buenos Aires um, for to, to watch the final, which they then lost. So, was that uh, Hermann Schenk-Willing? It probably was. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, yeah, and we probably probably cursed it as well. If they hadn't sent a government minister, they probably would have won. Um, so, so yeah, you, you're saying that um, yeah, the buzz isn't really there, right, for this uh, for this particular uh, world championship, where usually, uh, as you said, uh, all the streets are covered in orange flags, and uh, yeah, people host barbecues, and uh, there are market squares with uh, screens and monitors yep. uh, set up. Um, do the ca- fans care about the tournament or not at all? Mm, not much. Um, there is a hardcore fans who've flown out to Qatar, um, all expenses paid, and uh, we'll be hoping to <laughs> see some football in between spying on each other for the authorities, uh, which is the payoff for having their tickets paid. Yeah. Uh, back home, though, a survey by Ein van Dach found that only 14% of fans uh, said they were looking forward to the World Cup this year. One said, quote, I'd rather watch it behind closed curtains. So I sort of wonder if uh, you know if Pornhub shouldn't have uh, bid for the broadcasting rights it would have been appropriate somehow. <laughs> yeah, and you know things are bad if uh, Dutch people uh, want to close their curtains. Yeah, exactly, that's desperate. Uh, yeah, that, that's, yeah, yeah, that's really yeah. desperate uh, measures. Only eleven percent of people said they plan to watch the games in a cafe or on a big screen, um, and uh, that's probably been mostly been put off by uh, Days of Zestuk's idea to have uh, adverts <laughs> about human rights uh, during halftime. Seventy-five uh, percent of people said King Willem. Alexander should stay away from the tournament and 25% said they would consider boycotting shops that run World Cup promotions. Uh, in the words uh-huh. of one person who spoke to him, Van Dijk, they said that they've had enough of it, they've, they've earned enough profits from the corona pandemic. In true Dutch fashion, the real scandal is not that we're going home flying out uh, to um, uh, a World Cup in a drif- country with a dreadful human rights record, but that supermarkets are making money out of it. Exactly, yeah. And uh, I believe it's the K- it was the KNVB who called on supporters who are going to Qatar to uh, stand up at the 65th minute and uh, 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 give an applause uh, in memory of, of all the migrant workers who died, uh, the six- 65,000 migrant workers who died. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, building these, uh, these uh, stadiums. Yeah, clap for the migrant workers. Yeah. Yeah. That gives me some memories of uh, of, of uh, clapping for uh, for the healthcare workers yeah. during the Corona pandemic, of course. Yeah, but we don't need to go all the way to Qatar to get our uh, fix of shame, right? No, because uh, Feyenoord fans once again have been slapped with a ban for letting off fireworks during European matches. The Rotterdam club has been fined fifty thousand euros for crowd disturbances, acts of damage, and throwing objects during the match at Sturm Graz in Austria and the home game against Lazio in the Europa League. Fans will also not be allowed to travel to the away leg of their last 16 game. Feyenoord beat Lazio 1-0 to win their group and go straight through to the knockout stages where they'll meet the winner of a playoff game. Yeah, there's a, I think it's got a stage where, the stage where Feyenoord should just be renamed Fireworks, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's they seem idea. to spend more time yeah. uh, actually letting off bangers than, um, yeah, than playing football. Exactly, yeah. And I'm just glad we ran out of time to uh, discuss the whole uh, Sergio Perez and uh, Max Verstappen I haven't really uh, been following saga. that, but uh, yeah, do... No, 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 it's uh, too, mu- too much to talk <laughs> too about. Too much to get into. Yeah. Dutch modernist uh, painter Piet Mondrian's 1922 painting Compositie Number no. 2 has changed hands for a record $51 million dollars at an auction house in New York. It is the highest figure ever paid for Mondrian. Uh, Sotheby's auction house announced on Twitter, uh, the new owner who wasn't named is thought to be an Asian collector. 
composition number two was painted in Paris where Mondrian was exploring the great paintings in primary colors that were to make him famous. Uh, the last time the painting came up for auction in 1983, it fetched over $2 million, which was a record uh, back then. Uh, other works by Mondrian have since joined the big league prizes offered by investors with uh, his composition number three, with rood, blau, geel and zwart selling for... for he really has creative um, uh, titles he for does. his paintings, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, almost as creative as his paintings. Yeah. <laughs> um, those, uh, this uh, composition number three was selling for 44 million euros in 2015. So yeah, a lot of money again. One of Mondrian's most famous works, Victory Boogie Woogie, uh, was preserved for the nation when it was bought by the Dutch National Art Fund in 1997. Uh, you can still find it in the... I insist on calling it the Gemeentemuseum, yes. but I believe they have a different name the now. It's called the Kunstmuseum um, in The Hague. Oh, just yeah. the Kunstmuseum. Kunstmuseum. Ah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That uh, was uh, it was bought by a national bank and a uh, uh, and with the help of a uh, government subsidy. Mm. Uh, it's an unfinished painting. Uh, that's all, always fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> you can't tell, but it's unfinished. <laughs> and it was bought back then for eighty-two million guilders, and that's roughly forty million euros now. Yeah, it was, uh, it was controversial year, at the time, wasn't it? Because it um, it's got diagonals, and it was supposed to be against the rules. Uh -huh. Painting diagonal lines. Okay. Yeah. His own it, rules that he. Uh, if you go, came well, if you go into yeah. the if you go into the Stedelijk Museum in Amsterdam, uh, in the room with um, all of these uh, paintings by the Mondrian and his uh, his followers, the, the other members of the uh, of, of of that school, De Stijl. Uh, De Stijl, that's it. The, the members of De Stijl. There's actually the De Stijl manifesto on the wall, and it says very clearly it, it, it numbers the rules. It, 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 it's the most. Ooh. I think it's more far more Dutch than the actual artworks. The fact they have this <laughs> list of the numbered rules. rules of how you. <laughs> how you can make it a style painting and one of the rules is no diagonal lines so and uh, yeah they all probably had a commission uh, chaired by uh, by uh, Herman Ching Willink <laughs> exactly. uh, uh, where they uh, decided on these rules yeah, yeah. um so yeah, if you are interested in Mondrian, a, uh, a comprehensive biography uh, written by Hans Jans uh, is uh, recently translated into English. So uh, yeah, you can uh, you can buy that. Uh, the book is called uh, Piet Mondrian Alive, uh, and it uh, yeah documents uh, the painter's journey from figurative to uh, abstract painting. Um, and a few weeks ago, um, in an, uh, yeah, related to Piet Mondrian, a German museum in North Rhine-Westphalia discovered that uh, their painting, New York City Number no. 1, uh, had been hanging upside down mm. in their museum for 40 years. Uh, the error was discovered after it was compared to a photo of the painting in Mondrian's workshop in New York in 1941. Um, however, the museum does not plan to correct the error and they will leave the painting hanging as it is. That, that's um, a, that, that, seems to be a, that seems to be a habitual error with Mondrian. Mondrian paintings because I'm sure uh, I'm actually going to yeah break you off can tell yeah there, there, yeah, there, was, a, sure there was another very famous Mondrian that was discovered to be hanging upside down hmm um, recently or was no, it longer years ago? ago this is i remember it being a quiz question yeah one of his the, the, his early paintings uh, probably never have this uh, uh, this mistake right yeah it's actually 77 years this uh, latest painting has been hanging upside down in, and oh, it's, really, and, yeah. and it's, it's done the rounds in various museums. So obviously, it's been lent out to exhibitions at various times. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, uh, it turns out that this one was upside down.
Uh, that's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News. It can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating, and uh, yeah, you can also back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and also to Lauren Cominto, who uh, has been uh, covering MH17 uh, for us, uh, and we'll be back next next week.